Please stand for our reading from the Gospel of Luke, the third chapter, verses 17, 7 through 18. Listen for what the Spirit is saying to the church today. John the baptizer said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you'll remember he invited last week, he was inviting people to come and receive the baptism for the repentance of sin. He said to those who came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, well, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able to raise from these stones children to Abraham. Even now, the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds, they asked him, what, what, what then should we do? In reply, he said to them, Well, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has food, they must do likewise. Well, e even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, well, Teacher, what, what should we do? He said to them, well, collect no more than the amount prescribed to you. Soldiers also asked him, and we, uh, what should we do? And he said to them, well, don't extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations. Be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah. John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water. But one who is more powerful than I am is coming. And I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let us pray. Holy God, prepare our hearts to receive your word. Empower our lives, having heard your good news, to demonstrate it for all the earth. Amen. Advent is a... Uh, a favorite season in the church for many of us, not for all of us, but for many of us. We've, we've dragged out the, the Christmas decorations and dusted and hung the, the wreaths, fluffed the doves, revived as much life as we can into the old birds. 
We've uh, added, thanks to Cindy, we've added some new wreaths to the, to the to new bows to those wreaths. And uh, we've assembled the old Christmas tree. But let's be honest, Dave Watkins wrestled that tree into a mostly upright position and with a brood of extension cords, got the thing mostly lit and we've covered the holes with some decorations. The sanctuary radiates warmth thanks to a currently functioning boiler. <laughs> Amen. And then also all of the love and the light that fills our hearts in this season. It is beauty all around. During Advent, we talk about uh, taking a breath, expecting and preparing for the arrival of Jesus, that promise that is to come. We long for peace on earth, goodwill to all. We sing about it. It's the most wonderful time of the year. And then we open our Bible for the gospel reading from Luke, and we hear a cry, repent! Prepare the way, you brood of vipers! There's wrath to come. Oh Lord, it's John the Baptizer standing in the way of all our Christmas cheer, his hair wild, bugs in his teeth, scaring the children. We want to get to the cute picture of Mary and Joseph and their, their newborn baby Jesus, but instead Luke has us spending the first two Sundays of Advent uh, wandering through the wilderness with John. Nothing gets one into the Christmas spirit like John the Baptizer preaching repentance. But John serves an important role. He brings us back to earth to face head-on the reality that God is coming and that this changes everything. Before we get to the infant Christ, John demands repentance. For many, repentance is a word that doesn't sit too well. Being told to repent sounds like somebody is judging us, and I don't know about you, but I don't like to be judged. Do you like to be judged? The fear of being judged is, is what keeps us from being fully honest before God and each other. It, it, comes, it, it keeps us from being vulnerable. But fact of the matter is we are being judged. At every turn, we are judged by God. We can't help but be vulnerable before God because God knows our fears our weaknesses, our secrets. We are all out there before God. And having been so exposed, God's messenger, John, says, repent. So I'm, I'm not always great about quickly responding to emails. I know this. Maybe you know this. Maybe you've experienced this. I hope not. I, it's not new, but it is something that I'm working on. I've been working on. I've actually gotten way better than I was. And I have a lot of excuses. Like I, I see uh, an email come through on my phone, and then I, I can't answer it right in that moment. And so I, it gets pushed down. And before I know it, it's been two days. It's an area where I'm vulnerable to criticism. And one day, not here, one day long ago, someone called me out on it. She had been waiting for something from me, and I was late on it, 
and it wasn't the first time, so she confronted me. Now be honest, it was not cool, and she was right. What made it worse is that she told me others had experienced this too, and that they had been talking. For me, there's nothing much worse than knowing that I've disappointed someone, except finding out folks have been discussing it. It still makes me squirm. I knew my weakness. I knew I needed to be better at this, but it was the absolute worst to get called out on it. But truth be told, it helped me. I got more disciplined about answering some emails right away and trying to get to the rest by the end of the day. I had been exposed. I was vulnerable. I knew that I had to repent, not make excuses, but admit to her that she had named my weakness. One of them. I apologized. I got better. I had to realize also that with my email procrastination, I had disappointed her, though I myself was not a disappointment. There's a difference there. We are called to repent of those things that are keeping us from being fully the people God called us to be. But being honest about our shortfalls and our weaknesses, it doesn't devalue who we are. The call to repentance isn't about making us feel shame. Shame doesn't tend to produce fruit, not fruit anyone would want to eat, at least. Shame is that voice that says that you aren't a good person. That's why you have this weakness. You're a disappointment to people. Shame is the voice of the devil. But God's call to repentance is just the opposite. God is saying, I know that you are capable of more because I made you. I declared that you are good. I need you. Go give me your best. You are not a disappointment, especially not to God. I'm not one for sports metaphors, so here's my best shot. John is like a coach giving a really harsh halftime talk to the number one ranked team that should be ahead by two touchdowns, but instead is down by 14 because they aren't focused. They are not communicating. They are making simple errors, stupid mistakes. Coach John's message to them is to repent. Coach helps us see the mistakes, to get our heads back in the game. We gotta turn this thing around. You're better than this, John says. You've received the mercy of God. Now live like you deserve it. It's not shaming. It's intense encouragement needed to help us be the open-eyed disciples of Jesus that God made us to be. Inspired to give our best because God gave us these gifts. And so we are able to give our best. As my favorite fake football coach, Eric Taylor from Friday Night Lights says, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. I don't know about you, but I'm way more comfortable, comfortable preparing uh, the house or the sanctuary for Christmas than getting my heart cleaned up. 
my life in order to receive Jesus. It's way easier for me to go online and buy some gifts to produce fruit under the Christmas tree than to hear what fruit God is asking me to produce for the kingdom. Now, we know that our salvation is not something that we have to produce fruit in order to earn. God's already saved us. But as John says, it's not enough to say we've been saved, that we belong to Abraham. It's not enough to say that we've already been adopted into the family of God. We've received grace and mercy. We're destined for heaven. It's not enough. Having received this gift of love from God, we are expected to live lives that tell the world that we are children of God. Jesus says, by this All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. They will know that we are Christians by our love. The axe is lying at the root of the trees, says Luke. We can pick it up and prune away those dead places that are keeping us from flourishing. What is holding you back? Is it anger? Is fear holding you back? Is there an addiction that it's time to address? Is there an emotional wound that it's time to heal? John is preparing us to follow Jesus. His message of repentance, his harsh name-calling, his talk of axes and fire is shocking. That's the point. He's sounding the alarm. Jesus is coming. The question that we may have for John after this somewhat frightening rant is echoed in the scripture by those gathered down by the river. They say, so what then should we do? Isn't that the question? What what do we do? What are we supposed to do? What then should we do, asked the crowd. Teacher, what, what should we do, asked the tax collectors. And we, what should we do, asked the soldiers. And John replies to the anxious, shivering masses, Well, 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 if you have two coats, give one to someone who doesn't. If you have some extra food, share it. Wait, what? That's that's it? To the tax collectors who who were some of the most despised people of all time because of their job for which they were not fairly paid. It required them to collect taxes, but then they had to take a little bit off the top so they could put food on the table for their own families. To them, John says, just collect what's due. No extra. Nothing more. To the soldiers who were also poorly paid... Well, we know that those who feel stressed and disrespected and powerless in their own lives will often take that out on the people who have even less power. To the soldiers of the day, they would shake down the citizens that they were supposed to protect. And sometimes they would make up false accusations to punish punish those who didn't pay up or or fall in line. John says to them, "Mm -mm. just do your job ethically. Don't extort money. It's hard, but be content with your wages. 
John so full of fiery bluster, warning of the wrath to come, calling for repentance, ends up giving perfectly reasonable and remarkably practical guidance for what to do. Be good people. Be ethical people. That's it. But the wrath to come? What what about the wrath to come? You said the wrath to come. What should we do? Maybe we should sell all of our possessions and follow you, John? No, 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 no need for that. Well, well, what about, is there some special prayer that we need to say a certain number of times in order to, get, to be forgiven? No, no, no. Well, well what about, uh, is there something that we, we need to say that we believe specifically? Surely there's something that we need to join, put our names on, uh, that other people aren't a part of. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? With the calves a year old, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for the mercy of the Lord? To experience the mercy of God requires nothing more of us than what the prophet Micah said long before John. That at all times, with all people, do justice. Love kindness. Walk humbly with God. Bearing fruit worthy of repentance, it starts real close to home. Crowds were told that they should share with those in need if they had a little something extra. Tax collectors and soldiers were told just to do their jobs ethically, even if they were being shortchanged. Bearing fruit, demonstrating that we truly have embraced the mercy that God has extended us. It should be evident in our daily lives to those closest to us. And that's not as easy as it sounds. It's often to those we are closest that we reveal reveal not the fruit of our redeemed selves, but the worst the chaff that Jesus comes to clear away. John tells us that it's, it's not only who your parents were or your ethnicity, it's not how much you earn or even what you believe, where you go to church, how much you pray that demonstrates faithfulness. It's who we are at our core, how we act when we think that we could get away with doing what we know is wrong. It's that in our jobs we are honest and work hard even when we could get away with cutting corners or skimming some off the top. It's giving our best fruits to those who love us enough to tolerate us at our worst. Our partners, friends, our parents, our children. At work, it's, it's don't take advantage of your colleagues, even if they don't always appreciate it when you go the extra mile. It's treat your children with kindness and respect, if that's what you want them to show others. It's respect your parents and your teachers. Bear fruit worthy of God on the internet. Be good, be kind, be honest. Help those with less. As Paul says to the Philippians, let your gentleness, your patience, let that be known to everyone. And the peace of God, which 
surpasses all understanding, it will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus, you brood of vipers. Amen. <laughs>